Just before we dive into this week's show, I want to let you know that this week's episode of Kiwi Rider Podcast is brought to you by Protector Insurance. Now, they are New Zealand's specialist motorcycle insurers. With a full range of options and cover types, you can trust Protector Insurance to come up with a solution that will suit you no matter what type of bike you ride and where you ride it. Now, accidents happen. It doesn't matter whether you've been riding 50 years or 50 minutes, but you could drop your bike at any time due to any number of reasons, whether they be your fault or someone else's. But with cover from Protector Insurance you can rest easy knowing they've got your back and they'll get you back on two wheels as fast as they possibly can. Have a chat today with the Kiwi owned insurers who have been in the game for over 30 years. Go to protectorinsurance.co.nz On with the show. Welcome to Kiwi Rider Podcast, New Zealand's premier motorcycling podcast made by Kiwi Riders for Kiwi Riders. My name's Ray Heron, thank you very much for joining me for this episode, our 20th episode for the year. Coming up in the show, we've got news from, again, Harley-Davidson, Husqvarna with some e-electric goodness. We're going to catch up with Jock McLaughlin's thoughts on the Gas Gas 300 and 350 models, two-stroke or four, what's going to be better, and Matthew Dagulet has shared with us his thoughts after using the Senna 50S comms unit for 12 months. It's all coming up in the podcast, let's get into the news. And leading our news this week, well, it's been a bit of a Harley-Davidson fest, but uh, seems Harley-Davidson has cut the live wire loose to set up its own standalone electric vehicle brand. It is fair to say that sales of Harley-Davidson's live wire electric motorcycle have been underwhelming, but might have something to do with the cost here in New Zealand. With a high price of entry and rather limited scope in the eyes of traditional motorcyclists, the revolutionary Harley-Davidson has been a mixed bag in the eyes of consumers since the global launch in 2019. Since the bike's local debut in late 2020, only seven live wires have been registered for use on New Zealand roads, according to stats from the Motor Industry Association. With that in mind, Harley-Davidson has announced the Milwaukee-engineered electric offering is to separate from the Harley-Davidson brand and will become the headline product in its own electric live wire brand with a focus on essentially becoming the Tesla of the motorcycle world. One of the six pillars of the Hardwire's strategy is to lead in electric by launching Livewire as an all-electric brand and we are seizing the opportunity to lead and define the market in EV, says Harley-Davidson Chairman and President CEO. With the mission to be the most desirable electric motorcycle brand in the world, Livewire will pioneer the future of motorcycling for the purest of urban adventure and beyond. Livewire also plans to innovate and develop technology that will be applicable to Harley-Davidson electric motorcycles in future. The first Livewire-branded motorcycle is expected to be a rebadging of the existing Harley-Davidson Livewire and is scheduled to launch on the 8th of July 2021 and will also premiere at the International Motorcycle Show on the 9th of July 2021. Keep watching this space, we will share all the information as it comes to hand. The news that the electric motorcycle will be split from the conventional Harley-Davidson portfolio 
portfolio comes at a time when Harley-Davidson is trying to cement itself in the market after a shaky few years financially. The current CEO was brought in to replace the former CEO who intended to branch the company out with the bold More Roads to Harley-Davidson plan which was scrapped by his successor. Splitting the live wire and the electric R&D off from the tr traditional company could prove to be a wise move and it could take the pressure off the rest of the Harley-Davidson team and the parent company financially and win points with Harley-Davidson purists while also allowing Livewire products to expand and grow away from the shadow of the Harley image. According to Harley-Davidson, Livewire will initially focus on the urban market where EVs shine with a remit to pioneer the electric motorcycle space and beyond. The shackles of tradition already appear to have been broken with the new company to be headquartered virtually with initial hubs in Silicon Valley and Milwaukee. From launch, Livewire will work with participating dealers from the Harley-Davidson network as an independent brand. This could potentially be the riskiest part of the affair as we all know what happened to the former Harley-Davidson sub-brand Buell. With a dedicated focus on EV, Livewire plans to develop the technology and to invest in the capabilities needed to lead and transform motorcycling. Livewire expects to benefit from Harley-Davidson's engineering expertise, manufacturing footprint, supply chain infrastructure and global logistics capabilities. Harley-Davidson won't be completely cutting the new company loose however, both Harley and Livewire intend to cooperate and share their technological advancements, meaning advancements from the EV side could still find their way into the traditional Harley-Davidson brand. For more on this story and some photos plus a funky wee video, head to onthrottle.com. Seems that every week we've got a story about somebody announcing uh, an electric scooter or motorcycle concept and Husqvarna are this week's uh, manufacturer of choice. Husqvarna announces Vector and Blitz e-scooter concepts. Husqvarna is taking the challenge of electro-mobility seriously with the unveiling of its next match of electric two-wheelers following last month's e-pillin concept. Husqvarna says the Victor concept is the first electric scooter ever produced by the company and is aimed squarely at the urban commuter market. The target audience is stated as a rider who wants something that is not only compact and functional but also stylish to boot that will fit in with the busy lifestyle. Style and ridden like a conventional moped class scooter. A step through, the Vector concept will deliver a top speed of 45 kilometers per hour and offer a range of up to 95 kilometers uh, each ride. The Vector shares styling cues with the e as well as Husqvarna's yet-to-be-released Norden 901 concept with a large circular headlight, smooth bodywork and the firm's signature colour combination of white, black and fluorescent yellow. In addition to the Vector and e Husqvarna has also shown off its Blitz stand-up e-scooter, aims to become a personal option similar to a Lime-style scooter that we see dumped on the streets and in the harbours in our major centres. Similar to other stand-up scooters on the market, Husqvarna's Blitz has a top speed of 20 kilometres per hour, with propulsion provided by a 0.5 kilowatt electric motor, lighting provided by an LED and an 
overall simple design. Both concepts are currently being displayed at the PM Mobility Ag Special Exhibition in the KTM Motor Hall uh, in Austria. Husqvarna says that the development of its e-mobility range is well advanced with the company now actively searching for qualified dealers in large metropolitan areas in Europe, focusing on Spain, France, Italy and Germany. No word on if these might show up in New Zealand's market, but we can definitely see a place for the Vector and the Blitz here. As always, photos and full specs on this story, head to onthrottle.co.nz. Gas Gas, 300 two-stroke versus 354-stroke. Two strokes or four? That's often the question. Jock McLaughlin rides both to see what would suit who and which one he'd put his money down on. This story from Kiwi Rider Magazine, April 2021, Volume 2. A link in the description. Words by Jock McLaughlin. First impressions count. And, no question, the new 2021 Gas Gas range looks stunning. The EC300 and EC350F Enduro test machines look stunning in the metal, or plastic. The combination of the vibrant red with the white side covers and overall design has a striking effect, dare I say it. I think they look better than the bikes from Gas Gas owners KTM. Having both the EC300 and EC350F to test at the same time was something I was really looking forward to. These are the two bikes, a 300 two-stroke and a 354-stroke, that most riders seem to deliberate between when considering a new bike. Riding both of them back-to-back -back was going to give the perfect insight into the very different characteristics of the two bikes. Market Comparison Mechanically speaking, the Gas Gas bikes look very similar to their KTM competition, except for the, well, less known BrakeTech calipers and clutch master cylinders. Also, the Gas Gas bikes have WPXACT linkage rear suspension, while the KTM EXC models have non-linkage PDS suspension. In terms of price, the Gas Gases are cheaper by some margin, but it's difficult to see why, as the build quality is great. Having ridden the slightly higher spec Husky TE300i recently, the Gas Gas EC300 definitely feels every bit its equal, more or less the same to ride with matching performance levels. However, I'm digressing while I ponder the main purpose of this to test and compare the two Gas Gas models for general and enduro race use, and which bike would suit which kind of rider. Identical Singles the first thing to know is that both of these machines are incredibly similar in terms of the chassis, almost identical. They both have 300mm suspension travel at each end, they both weigh the same amount, within 0.06 of a kg. The 8.5 litre fuel tank is the same size, the 26.5 degree steering head angle is sheared, and the 22mm fork offset is the same. Over the years I've come to believe that 26.5 head angle and 20mm fork offset is the perfect combination for New Zealand enduro conditions. So this is very close to perfect for me. And everyone who rode these bikes commented on how good the steering was in the tight going. The 950mm seat height, at the lowest sensible preload for light riders, is the same too. 
It goes on. The brake disc diameter of 260 and 220 millimeters, 90 by 90 by 21 and 40 by 80 by 18 wheel and tire sizes, and the perimeter chrome frames with alloy subframes all largely the same. Ergonomically, the 300 for some reason feels a little more compact. However, a quick once-over with the measuring tape found no real differences other than the bar position, which is adjustable. Perhaps it was just that the 350 felt firmer sprung and sat up more, but overall, more or less, the same. Weight and riding technique Considering what we've just discussed, one could imagine a fairly similar riding feel, but they are very different machines that are quite dissimilar and require different riding techniques. Firstly, in general terms, the two-stroke EC300 is probably a better machine for extreme terrain. This is mainly because it feels lighter to ride than the 350 and has exceptional track durability at low revs. I say lighter feel because, as I mentioned earlier, the EC350F is only 0.06 of a kg heavier at 106.2 kgs and 106.8 kgs dry weight respectively, neither is especially light. Back in the day, the Honda CR250 kitted for enduro was some 10 kgs lighter and every bit as fast too, but with less torque and certainly less ease of use. In fairness though, the 300 feels considerably lighter to ride than the 350, particularly in muddy going. Conversely, the 350 feels easier to ride when the terrain opens up, especially in the dry. To my mind, this makes the 4-stroke 350 the better machine for the trail rider and for more open events. All about the engine response. Obviously, for those who have been around for a while, the main difference is down to power delivery, to a lesser degree, centre of gravity, and weight distribution. The 4-stroke 350 engine carries more weight higher up in the chassis. The 300 is particularly smooth and talky from just above idle until about two-thirds throttle. From there it gets a power surge before going a little flat right up top of the revs, feeling a tad rich. I only rode with the standard settings and didn't mess around with the power valve springs or tension, so there may be some extra zing to come with a bit more fiddling. However, I think it's fair to say that the fuel-injected two-stroke TPI motors in general are not as crisp as the well-jetted carb machine. The strength of the 300 TPI motor is in the low to mid-range power zone. The effect is effortless traction and ease of use. This sort of power is ideal for rock hopping and keeping tight trail times in an enduro stress-free. The 300 will flow along quickly and easily no matter the terrain. If you're the type of rider that loves keeping an engine pinned at higher RPM, the EC300 is not the best engine for you as it definitely prefers to be short shifted through the gears. Meanwhile, the 350 loves being pinned and happily revs to the moon, but thankfully you don't have to. The engine has a broad spread of grunt, much improved from the 350 model that tended to have very high RPM based power, with only a bit of bottom end and a weak mid-range. It probably has a little more grunt everywhere in the rev range than the 300 and doesn't have the upper mid-range hit making it more forgiving in this zone. 
the 350 will roll out of a corner well from low revs using the torque and perhaps a little clutch. Then the engine offers up an extremely wide and smooth power range that rapidly propels the bike forward a long way before the next shift is needed. Sometimes this will completely eliminate a gear change that would be needed on the 300. Even when the 300 is in a high gear exiting the turn, the rider slips the clutch hard. Really, the 350 engine is better everywhere than the 300, except right off the bottom where the 350 won't quite hang on as well and is more inclined to stall. So the 350 has a much wider power delivery, is quicker and if you're in a second gear or above, it's the better engine. But it does feel heavier. Loving the tight and rutty. Both these machines turn extremely well with a light, planted and very accurate feel. They both love the tight, rutty stuff. The suspension action is clearly designed for lower speed, tight and bumpy enduro work, rocks and logs, roots and holes, etc. The first test area was in a dry and dusty riverhead forest. I know, a dry and dusty riverhead was a dream that never came true back in the day. Riverhead was historically a boggy, rotten root infested, soul destroying snot hole. And that was on a good day. The 300 initially felt quite a lot softer than the 350 and less stable at speed. Definitely on the plush side, four or five suspension clicks firmer had it feeling similar to the 350 at medium speed, but still less bottom resistant in the fast going. Later on, riding the 300 in Woodhill on Sandy Whoops proved it was too soft for my 100kg mass and riding slower was the only option, although it was still great on single track. Harder springs are going to be needed for those heavier faster riders in the open. The 350 on the other hand felt better straight out of the gate, the suspension offering greater control and confidence, but was just as plush and more bottom resistant. It was fine in Riverhead. Moving on to Woodhill's Sandy Whoops showed that in standard trim, the 350 was too soft here and harder springs would be needed for anyone with my muscular build. However, in fairness to both machines, Woodhill requires an MX style setup in the Whoops and these are enduro bikes. Both bikes have excellent suspension for enduro riding unless you're extremely quick or heavy boned I suppose you'd say. The brake tech components are excellent, clutch action, feel and engagement are top draw and the lever feel is particularly light. Again the braking feel and power was excellent and I noticed no difference from the stablemates with theoretically higher spec Brembo items for enduro work. So there you have it. Two genuinely great bikes for enduro or trail riding. Overall, I'd give the nod to the 350 for its greater ease of general use. It's a versatile machine. I believe it's the better machine for the majority of Kiwi riders. However, the margin is slim and two-stroke guys, you'll love the 300. If you're the hardcore type that love hard enduros, the 300 is the machine for you. It's a little lighter, almost impossible to stall, gets great traction at low revs and makes difficult terrain easy. Both are awesome to ride and both look great in the new colours. So there you have it, Jock McLaughlin's thoughts on the Gas Gas EC300 and EC350F from Kiwi Rider Magazine April 2021 Volume 2. For full photos and specs, check out the magazine, there is a link in the description of this podcast.
Now, long-time listeners of the podcast will remember that this time last year or thereabouts, uh, we were supplied with a Senna 50S and a Senna 50R. It's been a year since we were supplied those, and straight from onthrottle.co.nz, what does Matthew Day Gillett think of the 50S after riding with it for a year? The Senna 50S arrived on the market last year alongside the 50R. While the 50R takes a new approach from Senna's tried and tested docking mounted detachable processor unit with a single wired in unit, the 50S is an evolution of the same Senna design that we've seen for a few years now, and I quite like it. Physically, the unit is nearly identical to Harley-Davidson's rebranded 30K unit that I've had since July 2019, but inside, Senna have given the 50S far more functionality, including the ability to use voice commands to tie in with either an Android or an iPhone virtual assistant. It is by far one of the best features of the new unit and allows you plenty of hands-free phone use while on the go. Annoyingly, however, the iPhone won't allow you to make calls through it unless the phone itself is unlocked. So this still means you'll have to pull over and take your glove off to unlock the phone before checking in with the wife or the significant other. The other big update to the 50S is in terms of sound quality. With high definition speakers now part of the package, there is plenty of volume for even the noisiest of helmets. I found this particularly useful with my Scorpion ADX1 Adventure helmet, which is noticeably noisier than my HJC i70. The 50S's additional volume output means I can noticeably hear a lot more with the 50S mounted on the Scorpion than the 30K, which now resides on my HJC helmet. In terms of use, I've found it a bit of a mixed bag when it comes to activating the intercom feature with another rider. Let's be clear though, I don't ride all that often with others. And when I do, it's Ray Heron from Kiwi Rider Podcast who has a Senna, while the other riding buddy I often ride with is Kiwi Rider editor Ben Wilkins. He has a Cardo Pactor Bold, which can connect to the Senna, but it's a bit of faffing about. It is definitely not the most intuitive system when it comes to pairing with a non-Senna unit like the Cardo, and seems to require either luck or haphazard guesswork to make it work. But with use you do become more familiar with the ins and outs of connecting the Senna units like the 50R, and it's a breeze thanks to the Senna 50 utility app. The 50S has both Bluetooth intercom and mesh functionality, with both able to self-heal the network should you fall out of range with your riding companion, so long as that riding companion also has a Senna unit. While on a 2020 GS rally in Martinborough, we linked the 50S and the 50R through both means and settled on using Bluetooth rather than mesh due to the better sound quality. If you're riding in a pier or as a rider in pillion setup, this is definitely the way to go as the sound quality through the speakers is noticeably clearer through Bluetooth. The downsides being Bluetooth uses more power, though battery life was never an issue on our rides, and if you're riding in a group of more than two, you're better off using mesh, that is, if your companions also use Senna. The range can be quite impressive. And while riding the Molesworth Station in the Upper South Island, it did seem like Senna's lofty range claims rang true as I stood atop an isolated saddle and chatted to Ray who was way down the valley. There's really not a lot to dislike about the Senna 50S, but I do have one complaint, and that is the wet weather performance. Now it won't come as news to those who have been comparing the Senna with the major competitor, Cardo. But in real riding situations, 
it is a failing of the design of the 50S that is really annoying, especially if you're caught in a heavy downpour. Riding the first 110 kilometers home in the rain on the way back from the 2020 GS rally saw the 50S start to flounder with the odd garbled response to voice commands and eventually cut out altogether until I found myself riding in the sunshine again. The unit still works fine after drying it out and the culprit of the failure was probably the traditional center mounting system getting a little water between the connections. But if I had paid the $599 for the 50S unit, I'd be a bit annoyed. After all, it is designed for use on a motorcycle and we're not all fair weather riders. There are a few low-tech solutions to preventing this from happening, with the easiest being wrapping the unit in a plastic bag and a rubber band. But come on Senna, we shouldn't need to do this, it's 2020 and the market demands an actual IPX waterproof rating for motorcycle electronics. So. Should you buy the Senna 50S? Well, the biggest thing for buyers is to decide what your primary use will be. If you're a fair weather rider, then you'll have no issues with the 50S, and with its scroll wheel and voice commands, it does seem to be the easiest intercom solution currently on the market. All the others use combinations of buttons. You might want to look at the 50R, which reports indicators more weather tight if you want the Senna system and ride in all weathers, but as our experience shows, the 50S can get a drenching and still function normally after it's dried out. To get the most out of it, however, you'll want your riding buddies to also join the Senna family, as mucking around trying to connect to competitors' products while possible is a bit of a pain in the butt when you're out riding. So does the Senna have the goods for Kiwi riders? Well, we think so. With the waterproofing being the only chink in the otherwise solid performing Senna 50S, we still rate it highly. Not all riders are out to get drenched on their roads and most of us who ride for pleasure tend to avoid torrential rain days. Being able to connect to all previous Senna products makes it a good upgrade and one that you don't have to learn a whole set of new commands for thanks to its evolutionary rather than revolutionary design. Add to that the Senna 50 utility app for backup whenever you forget how to work it and you really are quite well sorted. Again, the biggest factor I would say when choosing an intercom is to see what your friends are using, if they're using anything at all, and roll with that brand. That's a big plus in Senna's corner, as it's still one of the most widely used systems on the market. These thoughts put together by Matthew Day Gillett on the Senna 50S after 12 months of riding with the unit. For more, check out onthrottle.co.nz. Well, that pretty much wraps us up for the week. Thank you very much for listening. We really appreciate it. We'd love to hear from you if you want to get in contact, share a story about a bike, a ride review, whatever it might be. Absolutely love to hear from you. You can contact us through social media, Facebook or Instagram, or you can email us, podcast at kiwirider.co.nz. Also, feedback is always welcome. I've been Ray and Thank you very much for joining me. Keep the rubber side down, throttle on, and we'll catch you in seven days' time. Thanks very much for listening to Kiwi Rider Podcast, made by Kiwi Riders, for Kiwi Riders, and insured by Protector Insurance, a Kiwi-owned insurance company. The team at Protector Insurance are enthusiasts too. Uh, they know a street bob from a street triple, a pan-European from a pan-America, so you can trust they've got your back with a wide range of cover types, from storage only right through to full comprehensive and even track day cover. Thieves are rampant. Social media is full of stolen bike posts and chains can be cut. Brake locks won't necessarily stop thieves, 
lifting your bike, chucking it on the back of the ute and driving away, and I know that from experience. But if you're insured against theft, you can sleep easy knowing Protector have your back. Whatever you ride, have a chat to Protector Insurance and trust that they'll look after your pride and joy as if it was their own. Protectorinsurance.co.nz and thanks very much Protector Insurance for supporting Kiwi Rider Podcast.